My name is Will Verhoof. I'm one of the pastors here at the river. And it's my privilege to uh, bring you the message this morning. We are (coughs) in the midst of this series that has to do with worship. It's one of the values of the river. If you uh, look at the, the, we sometimes call this the shell, the bulletin cover, and it has outlined there our mission, our vision, and then our values. And one of those is worship. Uh, love received. We do that as we've come together and, and um, for these services, but what is also called to our attention is that worship is um, something that's done also outside of these moments when we're together. Uh, Pastor Scott has outlined a series of messages that <clears throat> focus on the tabernacle to help us understand worship. And we're nearly finished with that now. Uh, This is the next to the last one. He's going to do the last one next week, and then we launch into something else. And as is often the case, he assigns me the difficult ones. Uh, We have been looking at the structure of the tabernacle. We have been looking at um, the people and how they were dressed. Aaron, the, the high priest, wore clothes, a certain kinds of clothes, uh, and then inserted right in the middle of this, near the end, in terms of God's instructions to Moses about <clears throat> a temple or tabernacle and worship and, and um, the building and the people that participate is a passage, um, the words will be on the screen, I, uh, if you have a mini iPad. Um, if you're looking at your cell phone, I'm just assuming you're looking up the scripture as well and reading it from your smartphone or something like that, or your mini iPad, or there's a Bible available to you in the pew as well, or turn in the Bible that you brought. But uh, before we read this, let's just offer a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together here, to listen to your word, to try to understand what it it says to us today. Uh, I pray, Lord, that um, my reading of this scripture and my study of this scripture um, may, may have led me to speak about it in a way that's faithful to it. And that's faithful also to the way you want us to understand it this morning. I thank you, Lord, for opportunities to pray for others in this congregation. I thank you that uh, um, Jan Brinkman was able to go to the memorial service of his sister in Linden, Washington, and uh, maybe back already from that. Thank you that the Gosters are doing well, Virginia especially. And we pray, Lord, for others in our congregation whose needs may not be obvious to all of us, but they're clear to you. And thank you, Lord, for the joys that we can also experience and can express in praise to you. Uh, be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, right in between the instruction about the building of the altar of incense and the basin for washing, we have these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. 
each one crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 giras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, those 20 years old or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites, God says to Moses, and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. Then you go to chapter 38, and you see the results of this offering and how it's used. This is chapter 38 in Exodus, and it's uh, beginning with verse 25. The silver obtained from those of the community who were counted in the census was 100 talents, a ton and three quarters in weight, and 1,775 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel, one becca per person, that is, half a shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, from everyone who had crossed over to those counted 20 years or more, a total of 603,550 men. The 100 talents of silver, about 45 pounds, were used to cast the bases for the sanctuary and for the curtain, 100 bases from the 100 talents, one talent for each base. They used the 1,775 shekels to make the hooks for the posts, to overlay the tops of the posts to make their bands. See what I mean? And I thought I knew exactly where I was going to go with this. Um, and about three weeks ago when I stepped into Pastor Scott's office, I said, Scott, look at this passage. Um, I think that probably the way we're going to go with this passage, right, is to, is to just once again highlight the giving that we need to do each week to the river because it has some parallels in this passage. And I was trying to figure out, we'd, we'd heard a little bit from Pastor Scott and from our Vice President, Marv Shaw, last week, and we heard again from Landon Kern that this general fund that we have is kind of behind. And, and you just give a little more detail about that. Um, every September or so, we, we approve a budget for the year. And for this year, which ends August 31, it's almost a million-dollar budget. It's a $1 million budget. And it takes care of the paying of the staff. It takes care of the, the utilities, the payment, uh, the upkeep of the building. It takes care of, of ministries that are happening here in this community. It takes care of and goes to, um, to regional ministries, our regional a church, our classes we call it, has ministries that we share together with other churches, and even our denominational ministries that carry on work around the world. And I had been faithfully reading 
the little synopsis that came out of the council meeting every month. And you say, where do you get that, Will? Where do you read that? Well, it's on the website. It's on our church website. And you've got to go to uh, communicating with the congregation. And then each month about, Brian, I don't know if the latest one is up yet. May is not quite up yet. I'm looking at Brian, the clerk. I think he's responsible for it. And gets that up. And every, every uh, report, every synopsis has a little paragraph about, well, how are we doing financially? And we're kind of further and further behind. And I began to calculate, okay, a million-dollar budget divided by 52 Sundays. That means we need to come up with about $20,000 every Sunday. Well, we have two worship services, so this group has to come up with about $10,000 every Sunday. Well, large gifts, small gifts, in order to get to that budget and complete that budget. And, and because we're behind, it's going to have to be a little bit more. So just think about that a little bit in terms of where we are in terms of that giving and what the expectations are. And then all of us are tugged, of course, by giving to other causes. The Christian Education Fund this evening, uh, benevolence, uh, other causes that you and I may have special interest in. We also want to give to those sorts of things. So it gets to be kind of complicated and challenging and Yet, I thought, well, this is the passage that we can sort of tackle that from a biblical perspective, right? I knew exactly where to go with this. And then I read the passage again. And I read it a third time. And I began to see that it's all about atonement. Atonement. Ransom. It's about redemption. And it didn't seem to quite fit with where I thought we ought to be going with this passage. That whole business has come up already in the book of of Exodus. In in chapter 6, verse 6, and I'm giving you the quote here from that verse, uh, Moses is coming back from 40 years of being a shepherd in the wilderness. God has called him at the burning bush to lead the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt out of, uh, and, and into the promised land of Canaan. And Moses is, is making that speech to the Israelites gathered together, and he's not getting all that great a response because they are very discouraged by the slavery that they're in. But what Moses says to the Israelites is, God is telling me this, and he's telling you this, I will free you from being slaves, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Yeah. If you watch any of the videos of Ray Vanderlaan, uh, he uh, talks about all of this, and one of the pictures that I have of him when he talks about outstretched arms is him just having the staff and putting his arms out like that as the Red Sea is divided. And, and, and God is bringing judgment on the Israelites. There's a reference to that here in this passage. Uh, the, those judgments are coming to the Egyptians. Those ten plagues are coming to the Egyptians. And in those ways, through those mighty acts of judgment, with his mighty outstretched arm, he's going to be delivering them from that bondage in Egypt and also moving them to freedom and joy in service of God. Comes up in Exodus 13, verse 13. This is interesting. Because, and I 
just took this line out of that verse. There's more in that verse, actually. But it says, redeem every firstborn among your sons. This comes up right after the last plague. The last plague had to do with the killing of the firstborn of all the sons in Egypt. All of the firstborn of the animals in Egypt. And the Israelites were instructed, if you want to redeem, if you want to save your sons, if you want to save your animals, what you do is slaughter a lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorposts of the house so that when the angel of death comes along, he will pass over your house. And that Passover celebration each year was to, uh, was to remember that. In fact, atonement comes up even in the passage, those verses just before the ones that I just read, which make a reference to the annual once-a-year atonement that the high priest was to do, was to bring on behalf of God's people. Redeem every firstborn son from among. What does that mean? Redeem every firstborn son? Does that mean sacrifice your firstborn son? And the answer to that is no. But what God is telling about it is there's a principle here that has to do with dedicating that oldest son in service to God. And and what we read as you read the Old Testament carefully is that the tribe of the Levites were set aside to be representing that firstborn son in the service of God and his worship. And that's exactly what happened. But that's the principle Redemption. And it comes up here, this business of atonement, in the context of a census. Census taking in Israel. Interesting. Census taking in Israel happened twice in Numbers. That's why the book of Numbers is maybe named Numbers because they numbered the Israelites twice. But it was an example of of both God's judgment and God's grace. The book of Numbers kind of takes you from when Israel was at Mount Sinai all the way to when they, 40 years later, were about to enter the promised land. As they were about to leave Sinai, God says, count the Israelites. Count the men 20 years and older. They came up with a number, about 600,000. That 600,000 plus the children plus the women went fairly quickly, in the space of about a year or so, to the edge of the promised land. Moses sent in 12 spies Check it out. See what we're up against. They come back. This is horrible. We can't do this. Great walled cities everywhere. Giants in the land. We can't do this. Ten of them said, ten of the twelve said, "Uh, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. God will do it with us and for us. The ten prevailed. And God says, here's what's going to happen now. You're going to be wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And everyone who is 20 years and older is going to die in the wilderness, with two exceptions, Joshua and Caleb. So that's exactly what happened. Forty years later, they're at the edge of the promised land. Two spies are sent into the city of Jericho to check it out again. They're ready to enter the land. Another census is taken. Again, the count comes to about 600,000 men, 20 years and older. God had replaced all of those who had died in the wilderness with their successors, with the next generation. Second Samuel, another sense of Second Samuel uh, 24. This is scary because David is settled on the throne. David is pretty confident in his fighting men. And David says, you know what? We've got to count how large my army is because I think my army is a pretty big army. It's going to handle any challenges that we have. 
And his faithful general, Joab, says, don't do that, David. Because you've got to trust in God alone. David said, ah, we're going to do it. For nine months, Joab and his assistants went throughout the land, and they came up with the number of 800,000 in Israel, 500,000 men, fighting men in Judah. 13,000 fighting men. And then God comes to David through the prophet Gad, G-A-D, Gad. He says, David, you sinned. I'm going to give you three choices. You pick one. You can either have three years of famine. You can either have, or, or three months of being persecuted by fleeing from your enemies. Or three days of famine. David thought about that. And he chose the three days of famine. Bit of news about anthrax these days. I don't know whether it was an anthrax thing in those days. There's a lab, right, that uh, workers have been exposed to anthrax, that deadly thing. Well, 70,000 people died in those three days. It was God's punishment, God's challenge to David to trust him alone. Census taking. What's going on here? Well, here's the heart of it. When you look at the passage, it has to do with atonement. The money pays a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Everyone pays the same. If you're rich, you only pay the half shekel. If you're poor, you've got to come up with a half shekel. Everyone pays the same. The, the picture is that everyone is equally in need of atonement, and everybody needs to pay the same price. When you look at chapter 38, what you see is that this silver that's collected becomes the foundation of the tabernacle. That silver is in the presence of God, and it's sort of a, a, a reminder to God like the clothes of the high priest were about God's people, the needs of God's people. Scott read those two chapters last week that described the clothing of the high priest. And the high priest had some articles of clothing that represented the 12 tribes. And he was to wear that as he came into the presence of God in the tabernacle, indicating that this, he was representing the needs of God's people. All of God's people, the 12 tribes of God's people. This has sort of the same function. The silver that was donated, we don't know whether this was a one-time census or not. The Bible is not clear about this. But this money, these tons of silver was used to create some of the furniture, some of the structure of the tabernacle, the basis for the sanctuary and for the curtain, the hooks for the posts. Uh, to overlay the top of the boasts and to make their bands. And it was all part of the structure of the tabernacle. And God was, as Scott has been saying, God was providing a kind of a rhythm that reminded the people of their needs before God and of, of the provisions that he made. And this is also what's happening here. God is a, a calling attention to the fact that atonement, an atonement price, a ransom price is needed. Because people are standing before God inadequate, sinful, 
And then you get to, first, to Isaiah chapter 43, and you begin to sense that there's something else going on here. That what's happening here in at Genesis 30 and 38 is actually wanting to point again and again to what God was anticipating doing with his people. Isaiah 43 says this, But now thus saith the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I have redeemed you. I have paid the price. That half a shekel that all 600,000 of you were expected to give as you were counted looks ahead to something else. That shekel that was expected to be a ransom for your life, an atonement for your life, that's how it's put. Um, um, all who cross over um, are to, re- and Moses is to receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. And Isaiah says, I I want you to know there's something else going on here. I want you to know that this is pointing to something else. Because the God who has created you, the God who has made you, the God who's redeemed you from slavery in Egypt, the God who has put you into the promised land so you can experience freedom and joy, is the one who himself is redeeming you. And it's pointing to the ultimate price, right? The ultimate price that God, in the sending of his son, paid so that you and I may be free from bondage, so that you and I may experience that joy, that freedom. Peter reminds us about that. We have been ransomed. You were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That lamb without blemish or spot, that was the requirement of the Old Testament sacrifices, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, God has been showing us, says that it doesn't need to be kept being done again and again because Christ did it once for all. It was all over. It was done. It was adequate. Not with with perishable things such silver, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We've been ransomed. Not with the half shekel, but with the blood of the Messiah. And then you get Jesus himself saying, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that changes how we look at giving. Giving in a new light. All right. So when we think about the giving that we do, is it because we need to be ransomed? Is it because we owe God in some way? It's interesting, near the end of the Old Testament, it's put in the context of 
Are you robbing God? Are you robbing God? How do you rob God? The prophet Malachi is saying in chapter 3, well, because you don't give your tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings, that's how you rob God. Let's put in that kind of context. And then the, the encouragement is, hey, bring your whole tithe. Bring, and, the, and the tithe refers to 10% of what God has blessed you with, 10%. Bring that whole tithe into his storehouse and just see what's going to happen. See how he's going to bless you. Some people would say, see how he's going to make me rich if I do this kind of thing. It's put like this in Malachi chapter 3. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And he goes on, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. And I'm thinking, ooh. It's pretty easy to take this and talk about health and wealth gospel. It's pretty easy to take this business of robbing God and say, you know what, if I just give God sort of mechanically what I owe him, that tithe, I am promised he's going to make me so rich I can hardly hold it all. And I get a little concerned about that. Um, and then I read what's in the New Testament and it gives us a different perspective. One of the places in which you read a lot about giving is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, what we read has to do with the grace of God. We give Because of the grace of God. And it's interesting in that passage, Paul apparently is on a kind of a fundraising trip. And, and he is uh, collecting money for the Christians in Jerusalem who are going through a terribly difficult time. There's famine there, there's persecution there, there's great need there. And Paul, as he's traveling through the, the churches, he's collecting money for the Christians in Jerusalem. And he's getting to the church at Corinth. And he says, now I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And this is what it says in 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And then Paul says, you Corinthians, you're known for a lot of things. You're known for the spiritual gifts. You're known for your faith. You're known for your knowledge. You're known for your earnestness. I want to see you also excel in this grace of giving. It's part of the package. It's part of what we do. And then... Landon already quoted this. 
But there's in chapter 9 these interesting words. And I'll just read them again, Landon, if you don't mind. Each should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then plunked right in the middle of that, you get this reference to what God did in Jesus Christ. This is chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's the picture. It doesn't even have to do so much with, am I robbing God and do I need to make sure I get my tithe given? No, it has to do with what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The grace that we experienced, the wealth that Jesus gave up, the poverty that he went into, the giving up of the glories of heaven and coming down to our miserable earth and suffering and dying, being crucified so that you and I can experience the wonderful grace that God himself promises us. I will not boast in anything. The song goes. We're going to hear it in a moment and sing it together. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. I'm going to boast in his death and resurrection. And as I learn about that, and as I grow in that, and as I stand that more fully, and as I exercise the gifts that God has given, part of the package also is whether I'm rich or poor, I give financially, cheerfully, wonderfully, so that we can experience the joy that Landon also referred to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can experience the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That um, he died for us. That what we do with our lives, what we do with our time, what we do in terms of our relationships, what we do in terms of the blessings that you have given us and showered upon us, that all of that is done because of the grace that we've experienced in you, the grace and the love and the peace and the joy. You have delivered us, Lord, from slavery. You have given us grace so that we may experience freedom, that we experience the joy of living out of your of your grace and mercy and peace. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.